Good evening, everyone. Last week, we talked about the development of pathology and its importance to the advancement of surgery. Likewise, this week, we'll talk about another technology that was of immense use to surgery, namely x-rays. Our hero this week is Wilhelm Conrad Röntgen, originally of Germany. In his younger days, he was a generally average student, but with a great love of nature and an aptitude for making mechanical contraptions, which will contribute to his successes later in life. In 1862, Röntgen entered technical school. However, he was actually expelled. Apparently, another student drew a caricature of a teacher, but Röntgen was framed for the offense, and apparently was not a snitch. It all works out, though, so don't stop trying. Röntgen didn't have proper credentials for most universities on account of his unfair expulsion, but found out that the Polytechnic in Zurich, Switzerland, allowed any student in that could pass their exam. Honestly, that sounds like a lot less of a pain than college admissions these days, and I'm kind of envious. As you can probably guess, Röntgen passed and went on to a prestigious career in studying physics, especially the properties of gases, crystals, and various fluids. By 1875, he was a full-fledged professor, and would continue to see promotions eventually ending up as the chair of physics at several different universities throughout his life. The work we really care about, though, is x-rays. In 1895, Röntgen was investigating cathode rays. Basically what that means is he was observing what happens when you pass electricity through a gas at extremely low pressure. Often the tube with the gas and electricity in it will glow. And in one experiment, Röntgen noticed strange shadows being cast about the room he was in. Trying to determine where they were coming from, he covered the tube of gas with a black box so that the light it was giving off was no longer visible. At this point, he noticed a plate of barium platinocyanide, even in the darkness, still glowed, as long as it was within about two meters of the now-covered-up gas tube. Clearly, some kind of new ray was generated from the gas tube, passed through the black box, and was causing this barium platinocyanide to glow. This, of course, caught his attention, and so he experimented with other objects and photographic plates. A photographic plate is basically a sheet that turns black when exposed to radiation, and therefore is a way to tell if x-rays are present, and even to take images. He coincidentally figured out that photographic plates reacted to these new rays, and put various objects of various thickness between his gas tube and photographic plates, finding that the transparency to these mysterious new rays varied a lot by material. Apparently, he was working very diligently, to the point that his wife actually grew concerned and came to investigate. Supposedly, the first x-ray image ever recorded was of her hand, which she had placed on a photographic plate, capturing very clearly her bones and her ring. That image gave her quite a scare, which is fair, since people of the time were not accustomed to the concept of seeing their own bones. That image has since been lost to time, but there will be plenty of others. Röntgen wrote up a paper on the new rays, and brought it to the Würzburg Physiological-slash-Medical Society. It later appeared in the British journal Nature, and if you're in the know, Nature is a pretty big deal of a journal. The first confirmed X-ray photograph is that of Professor Albert von Kolliker's hand, taking at a public demonstration that Röntgen was giving. Another notable early example is an X-ray of Joseph Lister's hand. If you want to take a look at Albert von Kolliker's, I've linked a picture in the show notes. 
In the Würzburg meeting, Röntgen himself actually proposed the name X-rays for the sake of brevity, since they didn't know anything else about them. His colleague, Professor von Kolliker, whose hand he would later image, refused to allow Röntgen to be quite so humble, and proposed to name the rays after Röntgen, which was unanimously agreed upon at the meeting. However, X-ray caught on more widely, at least in the U.S., probably due to its brevity. There are some places where the term Röntgen rays is used, but regardless, now you know about Röntgen anyway. The ramifications of being able to accurately image bones or certain objects without having to cut open the patient and actually take a look was not lost on the medical profession at large. It helped, too, that producing x-rays and images was not particularly difficult or expensive. Literally just a few days after the first publication in Nature, the first x-ray photographs appeared in The Lancet, another journal that has come up a few times, this time of a human hand and a frog. Less than a month later, again in the Lancet, there appeared the first account of x-rays for diagnostic use. A boy had an air gun pellet lodged in his wrist, and x-rays were used to identify its location before removal. X-ray technology began to spread rapidly, but of course there were problems to start. The three pieces necessary to take an x-ray image were a source of electricity, a gas tube, and a photographic plate, essentially the same setup that Röntgen originally had. All three of these components are rather unreliable. Early electricity sources didn't handle humidity well and often sparked, which is a tad scary, especially in an era when electricity was much less common. The gas tubes were easily broken and not consistent in their output of x-rays. I'm talking fragile enough so that sometimes they might even implode during use, showering the patient with molten and broken glass. Luckily, injuries from such incidents were minor since the bulbs were so thin, but definitely not a great patient experience. Finally, the photographic plates were fragile, big, and foreign technology to most doctors. All three of these components also yielded some unpleasant smells, usually being used in a small windowless room with bad ventilation, which must have just been the cherry on top. Unsurprisingly, all of this was rather intrusive and intimidating, especially for the patients. Can you imagine if you'd never heard of an x-ray before, and the doctor takes you into a room with this sparking, smoking contraption, and then they tell you to contort yourself around this bulb for 10 minutes to an hour in order for them to get an image? The patient experience was actually bad enough early on that some doctors even proposed anesthetizing their patients before doing the imaging. X-rays quickly began to see innovations in response. Walter Cannon of Harvard University wanted to be able to image the stomach. In 1897, he figured out that if you fed a heavy metal, bismuth, to a patient, it would block the rays and allow for imaging of the stomach. With this method, he was able to study the movements of the stomach and then the intestines for the first time. Cannon started on animals, but in 1906, E.J. Beck of Chicago applied the method to humans. Unfortunately, bismuth is actually somewhat toxic, so it's not usually great to have patients ingest the stuff. Bismuth apparently didn't taste very good either, because we had to make the experience of early x-ray patients even worse somehow. We've since replaced it with barium, which is still used in imaging regularly today. As with many treatments, we figured that if it was useful for one thing, there may be other uses for it too. Joseph Lister actually was the first to propose the use of x-rays for other things besides identifying fractures and foreign bodies. I'll quote his address on the subject. 
Quote, There is another way in which the Rontgen rays connect themselves with physiology and may possibly influence medicine. It is found that if the skin is long exposed to their actions, it becomes very much irritated, affected with a sort of aggravated sunburning. This suggests the idea that the transmission of the rays through the human body may not altogether be a matter of indifference to internal organ, but may by long-continued action produce, according to the condition of the part concerned, injurious irritation or salutary stimulation, end quote. In other words, Lister noticed that x-rays caused irritation if used in excess, and thought that indicated there is something more to their use. Not sure if that's how I'd think about it, but he turned out to be right. X-rays, when applied excessively, as Lister suggested, can actually be very dangerous. We know now that X-rays are a form of high-energy radiation, which can cause mutations and generally damage cells. This is why Lister and many others observed skin rashes with exposure, and why when you get an X-ray today, they try to keep it short and make you wear equipment to block radiation. Ironically, in the early days of X-ray use, it was often seen as desirable for patients to develop radiation burns from X-ray exposure, because it meant the X-rays were working and an image would surely be produced. There were some early media frenzies about these burns that doctors ironically dismissed. As it turns out, they probably should have been more concerned. Luckily, in 1902, Guido Holschnecht and Robert Kienbock figured out a safe dosing system for x-rays. From there, we could begin to more safely use x-rays not just as a diagnostic tool, but as a treatment, and of course limit unsafe exposure broadly. The first use of x-rays outside of diagnostics was actually for cosmetic purposes. Leopold Freund in Vienna used them to simply remove unwanted hair. It was later applied then to acne, warts, scar tissues, tumors, and in general any kind of abnormal growth. X-rays cause damage to the cells in the growth, which destroys them and prompts the body to repair. Later on, deep X-ray therapy was then used on tuberculosis, uterine bleeding, and uterine tumors, and sees even more uses these days. For catalyzing all of this progress, Röntgen quickly became a celebrity. In 1901, he won the Nobel Prize for his contribution, and was promoted even further. Unfortunately, shortly afterward, a rumor started that his assistant had actually made the discovery, and in the controversy, Röntgen developed a disdain for publicity. He retreated, refusing to see anyone except students and close friends. When World War I broke out, it only added to his stress, and Röntgen passed away on February 10, 1922. Yet his legacy lives on. X-rays or Röntgen rays are an incredibly common medical technique to this day, although long gone are the scary giant contraptions once used. Most people are familiar with and have even had X-rays. If you've broken a bone, almost certainly an X-ray was used to investigate. Even routine dentist visits usually involve X-rays to get a better look at your teeth. When they were first invented, X-rays gave us one of our first non-invasive tools to look inside the body even if only at specific things, which was truly revolutionary. Next week, we've arrived at the beginning of the 20th century, and like last season, that means that it's wartime. As with many other fields of science, the world wars produce a lot of really important technological advancement, and surgery is no exception. As always, thanks to Jojo Tang for editing, Angie Lee for our cover art, Muse Open for our music, and to you for lending me your ear. If you'd like to help me out, leave us a rating or a review, or shoot me an email with some feedback. I'd always love to hear from you.